But with a narcissist, that person could leave you wondering if these things were your fault. If, if a lot of the stuff that happened was your fault. And you may believe that because you have been getting told that for such a long period of time. This can become part of a narcissist abuse cycle. Um, if you're in this abusive relationship, again, I'm going to say this several times, know that recovery is possible. And we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about what that can look like and what people around you, your support system can do to help you through that. Welcome to Divorce is Not a Destination. I'm Dr. Lisa Summerauer, a breakup and divorce strategist. If you've experienced a breakup or a divorce, you already know how stressful it can be. But here's the thing, divorce isn't the end of your story. It's a new beginning starting from where you are right now. So join me for a unique blend of humor and straight talk as we navigate the ups and downs, drama and trauma, and emotional roller coaster ride experience when a relationship ends. You won't be alone. I'll introduce you to guests who share their experiences and success stories. Come here for actionable tips, tools, and strategies that empower you to move forward. Whether you need healing, guidance, or a fresh perspective, I'm here to remind you, it's your life, your journey. Here on Divorce is Not a Destination. Well, hello. Let me get the volume up here on my end. As you can see, I am in a, uh, a new location in my office. And let's see here. All right. I think I have it. Well, welcome to tonight's show. This is part four of a four-part series that I've been doing on narcissism. And so tonight, whether you are dealing with someone who has actually been clinically diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, um, or it's somebody who just has a boatload of narcissistic personality traits. And in the first week, I talked about the difference between narcissistic personality traits and the actual disorder that gets diagnosed by a professional. But whether you're dealing with either one or have been in a relationship with either one of those people, recovering from that relationship can be really difficult. It could take someone months or even years to regain their confidence, their self-esteem, and to finally get to a place in their life where you feel like you have the ability to take charge of your life again. So what I want to talk about in this show is the fact that recovering is possible and we want to create an environment where you are encouraged and hopefully educated enough to one, identify and acknowledge that that has been your experience and to know that there are strategies and steps and tools that you can use to move yourself forward and professional help if you need it. And for many people, they do need it. So this is episode four of that series and we're gonna be talking about ways to recover from narcissistic abuse. I'm Dr. Lisa Summerauer. I'm a credit, an accredited breakup and divorce coach, and I'm here to help people design strategies so that they can live their lives the way they want to live their lives. This is Divorce is Not a Destination, and it's a podcast that connects to my program and a book, and I'm just always excited to be here with you, with you every week. So I want to say hi. Hello, Dan. Damali's here. My mom, Jackie, is here. I see Gail is here. Wakebot's hanging in there. Somebody from, it just says Webb. I, I don't think you've put your name in yet. So hello, Webb, whoever that is. So I'll do a little recap 
so that we do know the difference between a narcissistic personality trait versus a, a, person, a personality disorder. The disorder is something that has to be diagnosed by someone who is clinically skilled to be able to do that. We all have narcissistic personality traits. To what degree we have them and to the degree that they may be a problem in our life. Hey, hey, Ev, Evie, um, that is to be determined by you and whoever else might be dealing with that, that person. But just know when we're saying, oh, that person's a narcissist, we're probably talking about the fact that we're seeing certain traits. And in the second week, I talked about five types of narcissism, and we are usually really connected or aware of the overt narcissist. This is that person that's kind of belligerent maybe, but they're very confident, maybe even cocky. It's always all about them. They are extrovert. And we now realize that there are four other types that don't all align with that. So just keep all those things in mind. Go back. You can go to my YouTube channel and listen to some of the other, other shows. Um, I want to start off with this, that if you've recently ended a relationship with somebody that is displaying some of the behaviors that I'm going to be talking about, your recovery process could include really having to deal with a lot of hurt and a lot of pain because you've been traumatized. Now, any form of abuse can actually be traumatizing. So maybe you don't have uh, uh, an ex that was narcissistic or you consider to be narcissistic. And some of these things may still sound familiar to you. And the reason is because there are things that are consistent in abusive relationships or toxic relationships. And so some of these things may be familiar. But with a narcissist, that person could leave you wondering if these things were your fault. If, if a lot of the stuff that happened was your fault and you may believe that because you have been getting told that for such a long period of time, this can become part of a narcissist abuse cycle. Um, if you're in this abusive relationship, again, I'm going to say this several times, know that recovery is possible. And we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about what that can look like and what people around you, your support system can do to help you through that. So I'm gonna go through some of the things that people have identified, that doctors have identified in a narcissistic uh, relationship, in a narcissistically abusive relationship. Um, because many narcissists, even if they aren't extroverts, there's still this element of confidence. Many of them want to be seen as capable and confident. And part of that will show up in how they want to control the relationship. They want to control you. And I, I would say one of the top phrases that people are familiar with, and we're kind of hearing, we're hearing so much about narcissism. This next phrase is going to, or word is going to be familiar, gaslighting. How many of you have heard of the term gaslighting? Looking down here, you can applaud. So gaslighting is when a person uses patterns. It's their repetitive patterns. It's a set of manipulation tactics. And they're designed to make you question reality. You know, for some people, they'll say things like, I thought I was losing my mind. I had one woman say she actually did two things. She checked with her family members to see if there was a history of mental illness in her family because her ex was so good at manipulating and making her question her thinking. She actually thought something was wrong with her. And then she went to a psychiatrist to find out if she was suffering from some kind of memory loss or mental instability. And so this is how this is how severe it can get because this is how intentional these folks are with really wanting you to be off balance. And so if you're questioning reality, if um, you're dealing with somebody who is 
constantly putting you in a position where you're going, did I, did I have that conversation? I don't, are you sure? And they are just convincing you. And this has been happening to you. It's got to be repetitive. And there's this pattern of behavior. It's very manipulative and they're very, very good at it. Very, very good at it. So signs of gaslighting could be you second guessing your decisions and it's happening more and more often. You're wondering about your own sensitivity. Like, are, are you are you wrong? Are you not being sensitive to this person's needs? Or is there something going on with how you're showing up in the world? You feel unstable. Like I said before, this woman actually thought she was kind of losing her mind. Um, you're apologizing a lot, just unnecessarily. You just are, it's chronic apologizing because you're being put in a position where you're questioning if you even know what you're doing. So you're constantly apologizing for either something you might have done or just something that you've been told that you did, right? And it just becomes this pattern. Um, and you find yourself increasingly unhappy. And who wouldn't be unhappy if this is becoming part of your reality? So a toxic person who gaslights, they might do things like refuse to consider what you're thinking or your concerns about something. They might even restructure. I'm not I'm laughing because some of this I'm laughing because it's in my head because I've lived this. They restructure past events and shift the blame to you. Let me tell you what that might look like. You have a conversation with a family, one of their family members, and you leave the conversation feeling like, OK, that went well. And then months go by or weeks go by or whatever time frame goes by and they bring it up and tell you you really upset my family member. Their, their, they, their feelings were just so hurt. And you literally in that moment are questioning the entire conversation that you thought you remembered having and you thought you ended the conversation well. I had a situation like that where the, the thing that saved me was I had not deleted all of my text messages. And my conversation with this person had been through text messages. And I had gone through and cleaned up my phone and I had left everything that was like, say it was nine months or 10 months. And that was a 10 month old conversation that was still on my in my text messages. And I was able to pull it up and show this person and actually basically show myself that I hadn't lost my mind, uh, but also show this person that is not what happened in that conversation. So it's, it's, it's things that the average person doesn't think might happen because who would do this? But these are real life scenarios for somebody who's been living with a narcissist. They may insist that you did things that you know you didn't do. That was an example. Um, they may get kind of scruff with you when you share your side of the story. Like they don't even want to hear you explain, I don't think that's what happened or that's not my perception of what happened. And they may tell other people about your state of mind or your behavior. And it's to get this buy-in from other people to make you think you're not you're not with it all altogether. Like so, that's that's gaslighting. Some other signs that uh, are, are signs of narciss narcissistic abuse that, that it may be at play: the emotional abuse, the lying, uh, lacking empathy, financial or what we call economic abuse, and the difference between financial abuse, where you just think of money, it could be economic abuse, which means um, it could be anything related to your economic survival. Right. So not just actual money using behavior that you would consider or they consider to be superior, um, that kind of mindset, ignoring your boundaries. This is a big one. 
Um, and it's one of the things that people will struggle with uh, for, for a minute, but it's also one of the first things to help you kind of regain a little bit of control is the boundaries being ignored and rebuilding them, using manipulation, and here's a big one, playing the victim. Playing the victim. It's, it's almost like they can do something to you, know that it has disrupted you, that it has caused you hurt or emotional pain or angst, and before you can even verbalize it, they have already reversed the scenario so that you're looking at them thinking, oh my gosh, what, what happened to them? So I'm seeing claps and thumbs and all sorts of stuff going up here. And, and, and I will open this up if you have a comment or a, a question or you want to share uh, something. You know, some of you are new, so you may not know this. If you go to the um, three dots over in your lower left, right of your screen, I'm sorry, it'll actually give you an option to invite to be invited to the stage. Um, and you'll be able to hit your hit your microphone and I'll, I'll see you there and I can get you up if you have a question. You don't have to be seen. So I don't want you to be scared if you're sitting there in your pajamas like I don't want to. You can come on stage and just be heard and not be seen. So you don't have to do the video. You can just do the audio. So I also want to stress this because very often when we hear about narcissism, we pretty much confine it to relationships, romantic relationships or partnerships, marriages, um, narcissistic relationships are everywhere relationships exist, which means it could be family members, it could be your parents or other family members, it could be friends, your neighbors, it could be your coworkers. And, and that's an interesting one because uh, when I talk to people like about this, many people can think of a boss that they had and you go, oh my gosh, this is something that I live with or a coworker that you might've been partnered with that you worked with quite a bit and you realize they were always taking credit for stuff that you did. They were gaslighting you very, very, you know, often. So you can think about some of these characteristics and see if there are other people in your circle that could be, could be narcissistic. They could have the personality traits. And like I said, I'm not going to try to diagnose people through here. I can't diagnose you anyway, but be mindful of the traits and know that it is perfectly okay for you not to wait for a clinical diagnosis. It is perfectly okay for you to make a decision that if there are 10 traits that you can look up and you are feeling or seeing several of them and they are causing angst or emotional harm or distress for you, that's really all of the diagnosis you need to have to know that you need to, to figure out how do I not have this impact in me this way. So I want to run through some of the long-term effects of uh, potential effects of narcissistic abuse. And some of these are going to sound, they're going to sound kind of out there because we don't think about this very often in relationships where it may not include physical abuse because all of this could happen without any physical abuse. And it's still extremely, um, traumatic for the person going through it. So post-traumatic stress disorder is one of the long-term effects that somebody might experience. Anxiety and depression, feelings of unworthiness, low self-esteem, mood swings, very sensitive to criticism, um, self-destructive behavior, thoughts that are just racing. You can't settle your thinking. Difficulty sleeping, which kind of makes sense. Tendency to people please, because you're trying to avoid anyone else being upset with you. 
Uh, trust issues is another big one and disconnecting from others. And this could be whether it was a narcissist or just somebody who was very controlling. The disconnect could have happened because of you trying to cater to a relationship with someone who was actually trying to separate you from your support system. So those are some of the things. And so I want to spend some time talking about the recovery. What does that look like and how might somebody recover from abuse that's related to trauma? Uh, we already know it can be really difficult and we know that it's possible. So I'm just going to give you like six or seven pointers or tips that, that, that we can, you can dive into later, but they're things that you can write down and look up. You know, if this is something that you've experienced, even if it's been a year or two years or three years, and you're thinking, I've never really looked at steps or strategies that I could employ to make sure I'm doing this in a way that I could feel like I've got some growth or some change. So it's never too late to heal more. So if one of these sounds like something you can do or more than one, just write them down and then start researching and, and learn how much, how much can this benefit you? Might this benefit you? So the first thing you want to do is label the abuse, acknowledge it. And I want to be, um, I want to be really clear. I'm not into labeling things just so we can use it as a way to, as an excuse, like, oh, this is why I'm like this because all this happened. It may be true, but I'm more interested in us being able to identify things so that we can then say, that's not healthy for me and I'm choosing something different. So it's identifying it because you, you can't fix what you won't face. Um, and I, I'm going to have to write the pastors. Hey, Monica, I'm going to have to write the pastor's name down where I got that from like 15 years ago, because I say it so much because it's one of my favorites. You can't fix what you won't face. And so you need to identify it. And, it, and it's empowering when you get clarity. And so being able to have a, a, a word that you can attach to it and something that you can look up is very empowering for the purposes of you making the changes that you are able to make, no matter how slow the changes are. So the first step in your healing process is to acknowledge that there was abuse and to acknowledge that that abuse did in fact impact your life, right? Um, accept that it happened. Accepting that it happened is gonna help you make sense of the experiences. So yeah, you were not going crazy. It just feels like you were going crazy because that was kind of the intention of the narcissist or that toxic person to keep you off balance and make you think there was something wrong with you. Um, sometimes this stuff can be really subtle. And, and we think, oh, you know, we should have known, I should have been able to see it, or you might be able to see it, but it's happening to a friend and you can't understand why they can't see it. It's a different experience when you're living in it. And I, and I think I've got a, a friend on here, I'm not going to call, call you out, who we've messaged each other a little bit online, uh, talking about uh, her ex, who she, she knows was narcissistic. Um, you may be even, you may even, because it can be so subtle, you may even question if it was even abuse. You may even question if it was even abuse. And I will tell you this, full disclosure, my last appointment with a therapist after going with my ex, um, my therapist said, was there ever any abuse? And I said, no, it took me several months of working on myself and, and going to other coaching to realize, oh my gosh, yeah, it actually totally qualified as abuse. And so that is not uncommon. And so we've got to show um, a lot of grace and, and patience with people when they're dealing with this because 
we're still processing when you're in it. I'm saying we, you're still processing it while it's happening and when you just get out of it. And it's not that easy to change on a dime and fix it, right? So no matter how much, um, no matter how much it's hurting right now, know that if you can put a label on it, it means that you are now addressing it head on. So this is the reason why acknowledging it and identifying what you just went through and acknowledging that it did have an impact on you because I think another thing that can happen is sometimes we are conditioned to be strong. We're conditioned to kind of put this uh, image out there that we can handle everything. And it's easier to go, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. Are you okay? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not going to help you heal. That's not going to help you heal. So that's the first thing. Acknowledge it. The second thing is to set boundaries. Now I've talked about this before in relationships and you're going to, you're going to hear it a lot because I deal with breakups and divorces and some of these relationships more than we would like to believe are toxic. Even if they aren't categorized as narcissistic abuse, they're toxic. And so start with no contact, figure out what you need to do to have little or no contact with your ex as possible. And I've said this before, that means going through this device and blocking them off of your social media and making sure you don't have access to theirs either. Um, Put initials where their phone number is if you even need to save it because you can block the phone number as well. Now for people who have children who may be in working relationships with their ex, it's not 100% possible all the time to completely block them you can still figure out ways to safeguard yourself. And one of those things is to do what we call sort of like a a mind movie. Imagine what that scenario is going to be when you have to see them. What are the things that you need to tell them? So if you need to write it down, if you need to kind of run the movie in your head, these are the things that I need to tell them. And once I get that information out, I really don't have anything else to say. And you want to be um, functionally friendly. You know, be functionally for, especially if you have children involved. Um, you don't need to have an antagonistic relationship with them. Um, you don't have to do it by yourself. If you can take someone with you, that's that's a, might not be a bad idea either. But you want to be functionally friendly. Know what you want to tell them, and set boundaries even in the conversation. So you can say things like, you know, I'm going to meet you at this time. This is what I need to talk to you about. If X Y Z happens, I just want you to know that I'm going to get up and leave. So whatever the X, Y, and Z have been for you in that relationship, let them know if that starts. If you start raising your voice, if you start getting belligerent, if you start interrupting me over and over again while I'm trying to finish my thoughts, you know what the behavior has been because you're now becoming aware of it. And if that starts, let them know that you're going to leave. And that way, when it starts, you just get up and leave. You don't engage in that argument and create an exit strategy for yourself. So if the conversation is over, you've said everything you need to say, and now they're being so nice, they want to, let's just, why don't, we're already here, let's have lunch. That would be a no, and you need to have your exit strategy. Like, you know what, it was, I, we, we've talked about everything we need to talk about, I actually have an appointment to get to, I've got to go, and that allows you to get up and leave. And what structuring those boundaries will do for you is it gives you control over that situation. So that again, it's all about empowering yourself in in little sound and little bites, little increments of empowerment. So the third thing would be practice self-compassion. 
Um, and I'm going to talk about self-care, but I, I separated these and I've seen them separated and I kind of like this. When you think about compassion, you think about your emotions, right? You think about how somebody makes you feel if they're compassionate. And I want you to think about compassion towards yourself. So for me, the short sentence is do not emotionally abuse yourself. And as crazy as that might sound, or as strange as that might sound, use the word crazy, as, as strange as that might sound, when you've been in a toxic relationship, it is not uncommon for you to have picked up some of those toxic traits that have been directed towards you, and now you're thinking them yourself. They're going through your head. Dr. Uh, Barrett uh, used to say, we have to learn to squeeze the old jelly out of our donut and fill it with new, fresh, healthy jelly. And so, don't be alarmed if you hear things in your head that sound like your ex, because you've been listening to it for how long? So that's part of the tape that's running. So what you can do is just slow yourself down. When you catch yourself blaming yourself, stop it and just sit for a minute and go, wait a minute, I'm blaming myself for something I didn't do. So it's not my fault. I'm, I'm good. Or if you're still looking at the relationship going, man, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have allowed that to happen. I shouldn't have let them treat me like that. I shouldn't have stayed so long. Um, my dad used to go, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Don't shoot yourself to death because you're not going to get anything out of it. And it actually is not your fault that somebody decided to mistreat you. It's not your fault that somebody else decided to mistreat you. That's on them. That's, that was their choice of behavior. And so don't own things that you can't fix and that weren't your fault, right? Um, even though I hear in my back of my head, my mom says, you teach people how to treat you. There's some truth to that. We are now talking about somebody with a, an obsessively abusive personality that has been manipulative and has very likely changed how you're even thinking about yourself. So this is not, we're not talking about little stuff here. We're, we're talking about some major issues. And, and um, if anybody who is on here who has lived through this wants to share a little bit later, I, I definitely invite you to do it if you're, if you're comfortable doing that. Um, so when we're talking about compassion, also, you know, don't expect yourself to have been able to figure this stuff out. Don't allow other people to blame you. You know, sometimes people will be like, I don't understand how you didn't see that this was going on. Understand that when you do this, if we do this to somebody who has already been emotionally traumatized, we just add to the trauma. It's not really helping them <laughs> because there, there are something that actually happens uh, actually, I have something on the back of this book I'm going to read, but there's something that actually happens physically and, and mentally to our, our brain wiring when we have experienced a certain amount of trauma. Um, the other thing I want you to do while you're being compassionate is remember to reward yourself. Like, give yourself a hug. Be nice to yourself. Look in the mirror and tell yourself, I love you. I love the person you are. I love that you removed yourself from that situation and that you're working on healing. So remember to really, really be compassionate. But I, I do want to I want to take a minute. I'm going to read something. And uh, I think I'm going to I'm going to get to this in a minute. Um, it's from a book called The Body Keeps the Score. So let, let me do one one more thing here. Four is practice patience. And that kind of goes with the self-compassion. Give yourself time to heal. Be really patient with yourself. If you think you are going to get out of a abusive relationship with a narcissist or a very toxic and difficult person that may have gone on for several years and in six months, you're going to be okie dokie fine. 
Probably not. And if you are, yay. But if it's a year and a half or two years, understand that's kind of the norm. You know, going through a breakup or a divorce, they, you know, they'll tell you 18 months, two years, you're still going through what we call the loss cycle, which is very similar to the grief cycle when someone passes away, when somebody dies. There's a loss cycle when a relationship ends. And you go through pretty much those same stages, very similar stages. And that experience can take a couple of years and and you don't go through it in a linear fashion. You may cycle back through being angry. You may cycle back through the bargaining phase. So be patient with yourself and be patient with the process. So now it's self-care. You can use exercise to help heal your mind. And that's where I want to talk about this. So this is the book. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score, if you want to write this one down. This is a phenomenal book. Brain, Mind, and Body and the Healing of Trauma. This, this, this doctor has been working in this field for over 30 years, and this is a combination of, um, how do you say, combines science with scholarly work with the passion of truth-telling. And so he looks at everything possible. And one of the things that he he says in here, I, I want to read this right from the book. He uses recent scientific advances to show how trauma literally reshapes both body and brain, compromising the sufferer's capacities for pleasure, engagement, self-control, and trust. Yeah, it compromises the person's uh, capacity for pleasure, engagement, self-control, and trust. And this is happening in your body and your mind. So trauma literally changes you as a person. And so it's not as easy, you know, for, for, for someone to say, oh, you need to snap out of it, or this is the, you need to do this and next week you'll be fine. Understand that they have been changed and it's going to take a while for them to get themselves back on a path where, where they start feeling like themselves. So one of the things that is important is that you can use exercise to help heal your mind. I think I mentioned a week or so ago, I I went to Florida for a funeral and uh, driving from the cemetery back to the house to sit Shiva with the family, the woman who was driving, this is the field that she works in. She literally helps people remove trauma from their bodies. And she said, because trauma lives in your body. And it can manifest itself in all sorts of ways. As a matter of fact, I think she's the one that told me about this book. I can't remember. Um, but I, I know I, I bought it as soon as I heard about it. But she says, so, so when you're talking about self-care, it could be taking a yoga class. It could be kickboxing. Anything that helps you to relieve the trauma that has been stored in your body. But you can look for um, people who are trained in different modalities of, of physical, uh, physical activity to help you do that. There are so many different ways out there. There are people that, that teach you how to do tapping. There's obviously meditation. A lot of people will be familiar with meditation. Yoga is something that a lot of people are familiar with. So look at all of these other ways that don't involve medicine um, that still will allow you to physically deal with the trauma that has been built up or stored in your body. Try to find some physical outlet that lets you release your emotions. I will tell you, I took boxing for a while and it wasn't because I was 
dealing with trauma, but I'm telling you, it was some of, I think I've got a girlfriend on here that did boxing for a while too. Um, it was one of the most fun ways to get in shape. I never thought I would love it so much. I loved going to boxing class and I've taken Tang Sudo, I've studied martial arts, I've done yoga, but boxing and Tang Sudo, martial arts I like because it's a physical exercise, but there's so much mental, uh, there, there's a big mental aspect to it. Uh, and it's not really about the fighting. It's really about controlling your body and controlling, you know, and, and paying attention to your environment. So I say this and I'm sitting here for a minute because I really want you to think about what are some things that you could be doing physically that are going to help you with the trauma that you've stored in your body. And they're also going to help you emotionally and they're going to help you psychologically. So keep that in mind that even if you are going to a therapist, think about some things that you could be doing physically and make sure it's something that you enjoy. You know, if you try something and you really don't like it, don't force yourself to to do something that just doesn't feel good for you. If you don't like salsa dancing, then salsa dance is, is not <laughs> it's not the thing for you. Right. A um, lot of benefits to the self-care. OK, um, the physical and emotional stuff. It will help you pay attention to your stress level. It'll help you uh, to get more sleep. You also want to add eating healthy. Take time to do things that you enjoy, even if it's art class or learning uh, to sew or knit or something that you've always wanted to do that you just haven't started. Um, getting physical uh, in your activity and, and be active. And that doesn't necessarily have to be exercise. Movement, uh, I had a coach that said movement is just as important and maybe more important than exercise. And the example he used to give was, if you get up and go to the gym every day for 90 minutes, so you get up at six o'clock in the morning, you go to the gym, you work out like crazy for 90 minutes, and then you go home and you sit for the next 10 hours. He's, that's not good when you're thinking about movement. That's not a good thing. So you want to think about movement and exercise. Um, Evie said, why do they blame you for their failures? Wow, that's a good question. I don't know that I can answer why they do it because there's more than one reason. Some of the ones that, that I've read on and I think I've shared the last couple of weeks is uh, narcissists, many of them have a very difficult time being criticized or being wrong. And I had a therapist say to me, excuse me, someone who is very insecure. Actually, what he said was this insecurity can breed narcissism. Those were his words. Insecurity can breed narcissism. And so the narcissist typically will try to put on a really strong front, a really confident front because they're masking a lot of insecurity and that insecurity is what can breed that narcissism because they don't take criticism well and they don't necessarily think highly of themselves. They like to surround themselves with people. So I would almost, um, I would say, go listen to uh, the one that I did on the last week. Who do they target? Because I think a lot of people are surprised to know that they look for people who are strong or are seem powerful, who are energetic, who are go-getters, who have a great circle of friends and support, who are well-established in their careers and in their lives, because they want to associate and align themselves with somebody who makes them look good. And, and they like that. The, the problem is they also tend to want to tear that person down because it's better to control somebody who's powerful than to control somebody who's weak. 
Does that make sense? Hopefully that, that makes some sense. But specifically answering that question, why it, it could vary probably from person to person as to why that feels good for them. Um, I do know last week, one of the other things was some of them do it just to see if they can win and others do it because they literally like creating chaos in somebody else's life. And that's why diagnosing the disorder really requires a, a professional because they, they're going to spend a few months with this person trying to dig into how many areas of their life are negatively impacted by these traits, um, how prevalent are the traits, that kind of thing. So um, that one was, we're, we were just talking about the, we talked about self-compassion, being patient, and now, and then self-care. So this one is connecting or reconnecting in some instances, because I said, you know, in a lot of cases, people have been separated from family and friends who are really close to them. So they don't have the support system that they wish they had had or that they used to have. People have just kind of dropped off. And it's not because... Um, it's not because you didn't care about them or don't love them. It's just that you're so consumed with trying to get this relationship on point or you're consumed by the relationship that you, you just almost don't even have the wherewithal for it, right? So now that it's over, this is a great time to connect or reconnect. So I'm going to say don't be afraid, but I really, I want to say don't be anxious because it's not really a fear, it's anxiety. Try not to be anxious about making those reconnections and, and figure out how do you share what you want to share comfortably with the person if you have had a relationship that's been disconnected and now you're going back. And so you may need to share a little bit if they didn't understand what was happening, but I don't want you to make it your responsibility to make another person have to feel good about what's been going on in your life. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Because one of the unfortunate traits of someone who's already been dealing with narcissistic abuse is, as I said earlier, they have a tendency to want to please everybody. And so if a friend comes back to you and you know they've gone through a rough relationship, this is a good opportunity for you to extend your kindness and, and just reestablish that friendship so that they can have that support. So anybody that you may have been isolated from while you were in this abusive relationship, this is a good time to make those connections. And you can then celebrate too. Like be brave because you took the step no matter what the outcome is, right? So you can't be responsible for somebody's response, but God knows you should be really happy and proud of yourself if you picked up the phone and said, hey, I know it's been a while. I would love to get coffee with you. I, I miss our conversations. And hopefully the person is, is up and game for it. And if that happens, feel like cheer for yourself. Give yourself, treat yourself to something. And even if they aren't interested because of something going on in their life, you should still celebrate yourself for reaching out. Okay. Um, if you really don't have or don't feel that you have, hey, Wanda, if you don't feel that you have anybody in your circle close enough to do that, and even if you do, I really recommend looking for a support group. See if you can find a support group of other people who are coming out of different types of abusive relationships. You may not find one that's specifically for people that were dealing with narcissists, but if you find one for, you know, you were in an abusive relationship, a toxic relationship, you're, you're going to be able to find people in there that have a good understanding of what you've just gone through. And that's a wonderful, wonderful support system to have um, people that can understand what some of what you've lived through and you're probably going to be more comfortable than you think talking about it with them. Sometimes having, you know, somebody that's kind of once removed, it's not your immediate close circle. 
they're a little bit outside of that, but you've got something in common, that's why support groups are so effective. So some little bonus things. Um, remember to give yourself that compassion you've been lacking. Distract yourself. If you're sitting around kind of ruminating about what happened and you feel yourself going down that rabbit hole into that sunken place, have ways of distracting yourself. If it's taking yourself to a movie or putting a movie on television, is it uh, doing your, I don't know, it could be doing your books. I have a sister who likes spreadsheets and she could probably distract herself by doing bookkeeping. But think of something that would actually distract you so that you don't go into that dark sunken place. Um, keep yourself busy when days get difficult, right? So when you're, when you're having a rough day, it's probably not the best day to just sit around in your pajamas eating popcorn. Find something to do. Go to the zoo. Go to a park. Go to a game. If you live near a high school, you don't have to have a kid there, but they had a basketball game, go get a ticket and go to a high school basketball game. It's almost impossible to sit in a high school gymnasium and think about anything other than the game because it's going to be too noisy. So get creative, you know, and think about things that you can do just for that that hour or two hours or whatever it is to distract you so you can just get yourself refocused. Because like I said, one of the one of the signs for some people, one of the things that happens is this inability to focus. And so you need to sometimes have things that are going to distract you or keep you busy. Um, validate what you're feeling. I highly recommend that you have a journal. Everybody should have a journal or two or three. Have a journal, so even if it's just for when you're not feeling good and track the date and track what was going on when you started thinking about this or what was going on when you started feeling really bad and this hits you because it's going to help you go back and look and see what triggered it. What triggered it? And I'm going to, I'm going to give you something that I, that I, I learned in my coaching program and that I give clients. Let's say, let's say your relationship ends and every morning at 830, you have an emotional breakdown while you're drinking coffee and you do not know why you keep having this emotional breakdown every morning at 830 when you're having coffee. When you sit down and piece it together, I would say to you, well, what did you used to do at 830 in the morning when you were with your ex? And maybe your ex made you coffee every morning and the two of you sat down at 830 every morning and had coffee before you both went off to work. And you may not be thinking about it intentionally, but all that memory is still in your being. It's still in your space. So every morning, something in you knows when you go get that cup of coffee that something isn't what it used to be. And even a dysfunctional relationship, you could miss that person for a while. So my coaching recommendation for you when that happens, if you realize, oh, it's this that triggers that, change your routine. Change your routine. So change where you have coffee in the morning. Um, change, your, change where you have coffee. So maybe you had coffee in the kitchen. Make your coffee and go sit on the front porch or make your coffee and go sit um, on a back patio or turn your chair around and look out the window instead of facing into the room the way you used to face. Switch something around. I had a woman say she threw her coffee mug out because she, she would have coffee in that same mug with, when she had coffee with her ex. And so she got rid of the coffee mug. Someone wrote, I have learned that they also try to mimic their partner. My ex is trying to be me, but he has failed. I was always the one that made friends easily. He would get angry because he couldn't, but thank God I never let him make me feel weak. 
Praise God for that one. Thank you for that one, Evie. Um, yeah, it's so this is a really good example. This is a really good example that there was definitely something about you that that drew them to you. You were able to make friends easily. That's an extremely attractive trait. And if somebody with a narcissistic personality sees that, that right there is it could very well be one of the things that drew them to you. And yeah, they may be, you know, that there may have been that thing of trying to fit in and look like, well, I can make friends just as easily as you. It's almost this competition. And I, I've experienced that as well. And I've talked to quite a few people who have experienced that feeling of feeling like you're in a competition with your partner when you didn't know it was a competition going on. You just thought you had a partner. And they're saying things like, oh, I can't believe you're so talented. Or what can't you do? Instead of it being a compliment, they actually take a positive trait that you have and flip it around and they say it like it's something wrong with you, like it's something bad. And, you know, the, the saving grace is if you're at a point where you can identify that, oh my gosh, pat yourself, you know, celebrate, do some jumping jacks, because that means you're able to take a step back and look at what was going on and you're not consumed by that anymore. You're beyond that point of questioning yourself without realizing that you're doing it. And I, and I phrase it that way because it doesn't mean that you might not still second guess yourself every time or doubt yourself or have negative thinking going on. But now that you're able to identify it, you can arrest it. You can arrest it and replace it with something else. So we've talked about quite a few things that you can do. And I want to I want to get to professional help. Because for somebody who's been living with this for a really long time and they or they have been really traumatized by it, sometimes you don't know how many layers are involved um, and you need to go get professional help. The support group is great and you may actually find the support group because you've gone to get professional help because that 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 road to recovery being in an abusive relationship could be could be a long and trauma, a, a long and challenging one. So you may have gone through a lot of really complex things. And like we, I said at the very beginning, acknowledging it and understanding or admitting that it impacted you is a good thing for clarity. And clarity is always empowering. And you may need help really breaking down what was going on and being able to sit with a clinician and talk to them about your experiences. They're going to be able to connect, help you connect some of those dots so they can say, OK, now that we've, I've explained this to you, do you now understand what you were dealing with? Right. So a mental health health professional can be really, really helpful. Um, a couple of things you might want to look for. One that deals with cognitive behavioral therapy, because there are people that are, are, are trained to deal with uh, or listen for and understand narcissistic abuse. Uh, somebody that is specifically a trauma focused therapy person. Um, and if you have children, you can find somebody that deals with trauma and they deal specifically with children or adolescents. Um, integrative therapies, there's uh, psychologically orient psychological orientation interventions, there's things called humanistic therapies, and then there are some of the things that I talked about that may be a little off the beaten path that you might do in conjunction with this, which would be uh, things that are going to help you get that trauma out of your body. So things that are more physical based, but they're going to end up helping you as well. So let's talk about if you're a friend or a family member, right? 
you're a friend or a family member, you've got somebody that's coming out of one of these traumatizing relationships with a narcissist or an abusive person or whomever it is, how can we help them? What can we do? If we're not a trained professional, they're not coming to you for therapy, what can you do? And it's really simple. Just be there. Don't try to fix them. Don't try to fix them. Um, if they're going to a therapist or they have a coach that's been trained to deal with abuse, somebody coming through an abusive relationship, they need a friend. They need support there just so they have somebody who can listen to them if they want to talk or just be there with them. The big thing is you don't want to judge them. And that may sound like, you know, you have to know your friends. You have to know your friends. I mean, somebody might be able to say, oh, girl, I'm glad you finally woke up. Now, that may be okay coming out of your normal bad relationship, but coming out of one where you've already been traumatized into thinking it was already your fault and you just missed the boat and you've been getting gaslighted, uh, gaslighted for a couple of years, that could be a negative triggering comment that could make them recoil. So it may be challenging. And, and uh, there's a, a saying says sometimes it's not your job. Like sometimes this is not your calling because it's not in your gift area. <laughs> so if you don't have the capacity to just be there and be supportive, then they probably need to find another friend for, for this. Right. But you want to not make them feel judged. Don't blame them for staying in the relationship too long. Don't shoulda, woulda, coulda them to death because they've already, trust me, they've already probably been beating themselves up and their therapist is trying to help them get out of that bad habit. Um, the abuse may have turned into trust issues. And so you want to be that person that they can trust to come to and be safe and feel secure. So be there for them. And if they're willing to talk, listen to them. Um, listen to them. They have been in a demoralizing relationship where chances are they don't feel like they were being heard. Their voice didn't really matter. So a, a good friend, a good support system is going to be, uh, be somebody who's able to just listen. And if they've explained the trauma, just be empathetic. You don't have to try to resolve it or solve it for them. Just be empathetic. Be that understanding ear as much as you can understand because some of this stuff is not going to make sense to you. Right. So be that shoulder for them to cry on, acknowledge their experiences and what they're feeling. And, and you can do that just by saying, I can see, you know, I can see this really this has really impacted you. This has impacted you deeply. That That's it. Right. Um, if they mention anything that sounds like self-harm, then obviously you probably need to take it a step further. Um I just heard, uh, and this is in the UK, I get a lot of information about things going on in the UK. Abusive relationships, women coming out of abusive relationships were committing suicide at a rate of two times a week in the UK. And during the pandemic, it went up to three times a week. We don't often think of suicide associated with coming out of an abusive relationship, right? Or, or maybe being in one even. And, and that's a, a real thing. So it's good to listen for those things that may sound like maybe you need to direct them to getting some real help. One, uh, there are a couple of numbers and I'll probably, when I put this in my YouTube, I'll put some more numbers, but 988 suicide, 988 suicide is a, a crisis number that is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They have people that speak English and Spanish. So if I just give you one number, that would be the number. If you do have a friend or family member or, or come in contact with somebody that is sounding like 
um, this is this is much more problematic than I thought. That's a number that you you can call or have them call, right? So I want to open it up and see if anybody has any thoughts, comments, questions, reactions. Thank you, um, Evie, for sharing some of your your experience. Um, but just you know, recapping. Remember that recovering from narcissistic abuse is possible. It may take some time. It could be difficult, but you've been through a traumatic experience. And so you're not going to get over that really quickly. Um, abuse can leave really harmful effects. That anxiety is real. Feelings of unworthiness. If that's part of what you've experienced, know that there's nothing abnormal about that. That is a normal process of what you've already, what you've gone through. And that, that feeling of feeling manipulated, the gaslighting, all of these things are indications that you may have been in a relationship that was abusive and it could have involved a narcissist. Let's see. Um, I got through, I'm reading someone else's note, I got through all the hurt and anger when I realized he was a sick person and he needed help. Um, believe you me, I wouldn't kiss him with you. <laughs> but I do know he needs help. I can't be ups You can't be upset once you realize they're not well. That's a really good point, um, Evie, because one of the one of the the strategies that that I was taught in training was to look at the person as being pathetic. Like instead of getting angry, look at them and just think, "Wow, that that's really pathetic. That this is the path that they've taken." Um, I see you on here. Can you open up your microphone? There you are. I hear We hear you. You just closed your microphone. Hit that no, thing again. Now, now we can hear you. Okay. Hey. I had to learn a lot, Lisa. I had never been through anything like that before. Mm -hmm. You think you're an intelligent man, all these wonderful things. You don't see it till you... Oh, did we lose you? I think we lost your audio. Yep, something happened. I don't know if you hit a you hit a you hit a dead zone there, but you were saying you don't see it. And I would probably say you might feel it or sense it before you actually, you know, are able to, you know something doesn't feel right before you can really identify what it is. If if you can even identify what it is. But I want to thank you for contributing because I know you and I have, have communicated about this before and I appreciate you for, okay. for sharing. There you go. Are you back? Yeah. What yeah. I learned was you when you were talking you about see it? when you started talking about learning new ways of doing things, mm -hmm. I did. I no longer slept on my side of the bed. That's my bed. I slept in the middle now. <laughs> That's my bed. That's not my side or his side. This is my bed. <laughs> so the thing is, I, I was strong throughout. Now, don't get me wrong. It broke me. It did break me because I did not understand. This man tried to have me put away. Mm. I mean, he called my mother, friends of mine, and <laughs> they ended up blasting him out because they knew he was lying. But it's hard for people to believe when you tell mm -hmm. them. No, I... Because I told a friend something he did to me. And she said, I just don't believe you. So I said, well, go ask him. So she went and asked him. She says, well, I saw some, you know, your hands kind of bruised her arm. And he said, now, Laish, 
Does that sound like me? Classic. Classic. No. Classic. Yeah. But I didn't know that. See, I didn't know about the flying monkeys and all that kind of stuff. Now that I've learned, even we were married 23 years. Flying monkeys. Yeah, the flying monkeys. They, they, those are the people who've never seen him do what he's doing. Yes. Okay. I'm keeping that one. I'm keeping the flying. No. So what? 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 Evelyn just explained or described is uh, one of the. I know I talked about this before. They aren't just gaslighting the person they're with. They are manipulating and gaslighting everybody that they can because they want to create this situation where exactly what she just explained becomes the reality. If you go outside and say to somebody, you're not going to believe what he did. Let me tell you what they did. He or she did. The person is so convinced that the facade that they have been seeing, the, the persona that this person has created for everybody else, they're so convinced that that's real, that you now look like you're making stories up. Not only do you look like you're making stories up, do not contact these people and try to explain because you're going to make yourself look crazy. Yeah. He's already told them you're crazy. Right. Exactly. And you're just going to prove it. <laughs> I see I see thumbs going up and all sorts of stuff happening down here with the little uh, emoji, the little uh, uh, the our little emojis. Now, he recently just called me. I've been divorced 14 years. Wow. And he says I don't have his name in my phone. I have jackass. Oh. So every time it pops up, I don't talk to him, see? So. Because the only reason I have contact with him is because he owes me alimony and he will not show up for court. So I'm just tired of it now. Let him have it. 14. But the thing was, he called to say, uh, I want to ask you something. I said, okay. I want to ask for your forgiveness. Mm. Uh-huh. Say what now? He said, I want to ask you for your forgiveness. I have a question. Did yeah. you did you believe it? Yeah. Girl, no. Okay, I'm just checking. So, I'm just, so I'm just checking. He, he says, and I know what he was doing. I know he had on speakerphone. There's a woman he wants, and she's very religious. So I'm sure she's asked him about his divorce. So mm. he says, I'm going to call our son and ask him for forgiveness, too. I said, okay, then. Have a good one. Interesting. So my son calls me back and says, Mom, don't believe a word. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So he wanted this new girl. She was very new. The other one figured him out and dropped him. This one, because they, they don't like aging. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they can't handle aging. They age badly. He read that book called The Alchemist. Oh wow! And, and honey, it everything he's got flopped. Everything. So now, I even wrote the jingle for the stupid drink he had. You know what? I, I'm not doing your jingle. I, for, I, and I oh no, I'm not doing it. No, 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 no. I know, I know you sing too. So she actually could, she actually could do the jingle because she sings. But I, I just want to thank you for sharing because that story is almost textbook for what it a lot textbook. of people, yeah, for for what a lot of people experience when they start trying to t tell other people what they've been living with. It really is a difficult time, and when you can go to family or friends. 
and they're kind of looking at you questionably because, like you said, he's already gone around and told everybody that you are crazy. That, you know, well, you know, she she's exaggerating and um, hold on. She's exaggerating and she doesn't, you know, she just she just wants me to look bad and they will flip that entire script so that by the time you do step out and say something to somebody else, they're actually questioning you, which is really difficult for the person who's already being abused. Because And this is part of what can cause some of the isolation. So by the time the relationship ends, if you've been put in a situation where um, you don't have anybody you can go to because they've all been convinced that this person is just, you know, above reproach and you're just you're just off right now. You're psychologically off. So thank you for for sharing that. I just want to I want to thank everybody who's here. I so appreciate you joining us, Dan. Uh, I see Monica, my mom, Damali, Wanda. Um, Gail is with us tonight. I want to thank you. This is the end of this series. It probably will not be the end. I, I actually may bring a guest on in a couple of weeks who works with folks um, who have come out of narcissistic uh, abusive relationships or abusive relationships with a narcissist. Um, I'm looking for a clinician that that I may just bring on so we can have somebody to just take us another level deeper. But I have enjoyed just being able to dig into this information and hopefully get people to a point where we're not just throwing this word around. It is kind of a buzzword right now. If you hit narcissist on Google, you're just going to have a, a, a goo gob of things that come up. But I really wanted us to understand the difference between the trait and an actual the actual disorder because they're different. And to know that we may be dealing with somebody that has a lot of traits, but until they get diagnosed, we don't necessarily know that they have a disorder. But the goal for me in all of that is only identifying what that might be so that you can identify that it's not good for you to be there. This is not healthy for me and you need to start strategizing an exit plan. And it's not as easy as pick up all your stuff and just leave tonight. Um, people get killed behind that. Um, and cause like I said, I, I don't just deal with breakup and divorce, uh, folks that are going through breakups and divorces. I also deal with people who are going through them leaving abusive relationships. And so I have to be really mindful, um, that it's not as easy as just leaving. But the first thing is acknowledging and understanding what you're living with and what you're going through. If you're already out of it, like, like, uh, Evie here, God bless you. And 14 years later, you're still getting phone calls. Mind boggling, mind boggling. So I want to thank everybody tonight. We've I've gone to a full hour tonight. So thank you for hanging in here with me. I will see you next week, Thursday evening. Uh, Dr. Lisa here signing off. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Divorce Is Not a Destination. Please recommend the show to friends and family. You can join my live audience and see upcoming shows by registering for access at firesidechat.com forward slash Lisa Summer Hour. Connect with me on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Divorce Is Not a Destination. And catch replays here on Fireside, my YouTube channel, or your favorite streaming service. Until next time, remember, I'm here to help you get unstuck gain confidence, and thrive beyond your breakup or divorce, because divorce is not a destination.